What's up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And All-Star Weekend just happened, so we're going to jump in and talk about what went on with All-Star Weekend. I'm just going to come out and say it. I didn't watch any of it, and I'm glad I didn't. And I think this is kind of a topic that I want to talk about with you, just because I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like All-Star should just be an award. Um, or an honorary thing where you get like a patch on your jersey for the rest of the season. I don't know if people would be interested in that. That's just something I thought of on the spot just now. But it's come to a point where like only negative things are being said about this event every single year. The skills challenge, horrible. The three-point contest, who cares? The game itself, who cares? The dunk contest, it's embarrassing to even apply for it. Um, and all we're getting from fans is negative feedback. No one seems to enjoy this event anymore. Um, it seems like the players, like if you were to ask LeBron, hey, do you want to leave Los Angeles this week and go to Indianapolis where it's 20 degrees for a week? Would you like to do that? I think he'd tell you probably not. Why? What, what's your thought on how we just handle the All-Star Weekend from this point forward? So I think right now the product is kind of bad. Um, my favorite part of the all-star weekend had to be the three point shootout. Um, that I think if you go and look at ratings was the most popular, especially the Steph versus Sabrina shootout that got like the most ratings, but the dunk contest just keeps getting worse and worse. There's only so many dunks that you can do that exist. And people have done pretty much all of them. And you know, the last time we had an excellent dunk contest, it got robbed by the judges. So Aaron Gordon's never coming back to a dunk contest because of the way the judges screwed him over back-to-back times. Um, You know, is there a world where we could revive the dunk contest? I hope so. Uh, The skills challenge is my least favorite thing, specifically because the guys feel like they're too cool to try. Like, so it was the number one picks, Paolo, Wemby, and somebody else i can't remember anthony edwards yes and anthony edwards shot left-handed and played the entire thing like he was too cool to be there why did you agree to be in the challenge if you did not want to um i don't know how we get people to care but like through every event that's not the three-point contest it's filled with people who just don't care right and it seems like the fans don't care and the players don't care and it's just gotten to this point where I'm starting to think maybe just do away with it for a few years, see if there's enough, like, nostalgia to potentially bring it back. Um, Like, I don't know how much it will be missed. Now, if we go back in the past, like you just said, the dunk contest used to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like, seriously, one of my favorite basketball memories of all time is watching that dunk contest with my cousin on the couch with Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. We were screaming and running around our house. Like, it was just, we couldn't believe what we were getting to see on TV. That doesn't happen anymore because of some of the issues with Aaron Gordon and losing. Like, I think he should have won every single one he was in over Zach Levine. Seriously. But you discourage guys from coming in. They get memed on Twitter for missing their dunks or, you know, they didn't do anything creative. Like, it's just not fun for these guys to try anymore because the f- Twitter 
has basically taken the fun out of the events. You're right, dude. Jalen Brown is the first all-star in a very long time to agree to participate in the dunk contest. And his dunks were not excellent. He jumped over a dude who was five foot four sitting in a chair. Um, so like, you know, there was nothing awesome about what he was doing, but like, right. are we ever going to see another all-star come back after the shit show that Jalen Brown received on the internet for that? Probably not. Probably, Probably not. not, man. And then the lackluster commentating, the garbage commentating at sometimes. I'm not the first person to rip into Kenny Smith um, for saying the dumb shit he was saying. But like, how yeah. do you take the most watched event of the All-Star weekend, the Steph versus Sabrina shootout, and ruin it just by being a dipshit? Like, I... We got to do something at probably every level. The commentators could be different. The judges for the contest could be different. The challenges themselves could be different. I still want it to exist, though, because you're right. Like, that 2016 dunk contest, one of the greatest basketball memories of, like, all-star weekends for decades. Um, I right. loved that shit. I want to get back to that. And that's the thing, too, is how do we incentivize these guys to care again, right? Because the mega, mega superstars, they don't need the cash prize to go do that. They just don't. You do it for the love of the game, and you do it for wanting to do something exciting or be a part of all-star weekend. But when the whole world is telling you All-Star Weekend's trash and everything you do is embarrassing, these huge names aren't going to sign up for that shit anymore. It, and it's it's sad because I, I, as a massive basketball fan, as someone who's been making basketball content since, since both of us were 18, I think, mm -hmm. like, I had no interest in all-star weekend at all I, I just didn't even turn on my tv i didn't try to watch it i didn't care about anything that was happening that's really sad now the sabrina steph shootout i think is a format that we could really try to adopt to help the women's game i think that would be amazing if that's incorporated instead of the skills challenge like every single year we bring in a, a WNBA superstar to do something to kind of put their name in front of the, the big city. I think that's a fantastic idea. Maybe bring in more of them. Steph and Dame against Sabrina and Caitlin Clark. Like bring in the biggest names in the WNBA and the biggest shooters in the NBA. Yeah. There you go. Right. So just something like that. Um, but all in all, like I, I'm disinterested. And I think it's just because the players are disinterested because they've been bullied into not caring. See, when it comes to the all-star game itself, though, I feel like that is where fans want there to be exciting basketball, and the players are the ones who are just kind of dogging it, going at 60%. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns tried. I think he had 50. Yeah, um, he, he was trying, man. He was trying out there. A lot of guys were just kind of bullshitting, throwing up half-court shots, zero defense, besides a couple of deflections. Yeah. Uh, I think that is the thing where we actually want competitive basketball. I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was the year that we had the first Kobe uh, all-star game where there yeah. was a specific point total those guys were going for. We saw like a Giannis and LeBron double team um, yeah. hounding dudes on the perimeter. Like that is what fans want to see. Yeah. And you go watch that game back. It's one of the coolest things we've seen in a long time. Like that's a really, really fun game to watch. You have Kawhi playing full speed on an exhibition game. Like this is a guy who had injury issues his whole career. He wanted to go out there and like, you know, respect Kobe's legacy, but without something like extremely traumatic, like what happened to Kobe, these guys have no reason to play, right? Like their money's already in check, you know, playing well in that game does nothing for them. It's, 
you know, Tyrese Halliburton, I respect that he went out and tried to put on a show for his, his, uh, you know, city. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I I'm always a fan of the hometown, like all-star chucking up shots. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, but yeah, I just, all-star weekend just feels different. I don't know if it's cause I've grown up or if Twitter's just ruined everything in the entire world. I don't know what it is, but we were 16 when the 2016 dunk contest happened right. in Barrington. That was a yeah. that was a great age to be to watch that. I don't know if I watched it at 24 if I'd still feel the same way. That's uh, but, true. You know, maybe it's a mix of two things, but we are not the only people saying this shit needs to be improved. Yeah. Is there is there any way to improve it? Like that's kind of what I'm confused about. It's just like this is an event that people used to love. Like when Michael Jordan was playing, this was a massive event, the All-Star game, having the world's greatest players on the court at the same time. Like that was a huge deal. And I'm trying to f remember like where it died. I I'm just trying to remember because I've only been watching basketball seriously since like 2016, I'd probably say. I, f I started watching highlights and loving basketball in 2014, but like, I just don't even remember a time where I was like super pumped to watch the all-star game. Cause they all were just fucking around. Yeah, man. I don't know how like you convince guys to try harder. Cause it's not like there's money incentives and stuff that you can throw in. There's really like, maybe you just bring the guys who you know are going to try hard. Maybe if you're an all-star <laughs> talent, but you're not going to take it seriously, Anthony Edwards, we're not bringing you. Yeah. So all in all, I just wanted to talk about that and just get that out of the way. Cause it does feel, I'm sorry we started this podcast with kind of doom and gloom, but it is something that's just continued to be talked about. Like, I'm not sure what the solution is. I wanted to see if you had any ideas. It seems like we're both kind of at a loss here. Yeah, man. Uh, we're, I mean, we are at a loss. I think the three point contest is great. I think the fact that they added the extra further back ball either last year or two years ago, I think that made it more interesting. Literally, that's the only challenge that I'm a big fan of. Everything else has kind of been, you know, watered down. Yeah. Let's talk about something else, though, that's a little niche. We're just going to run through some Western Conference teams and just check out what they're doing right now. I just have some questions about the Grizzlies, and I'm more just curious about them as a franchise and where they're going right now. Obviously, they're having a tough season. Their entire squad has been injured the entire year. This is truly one of the most injured teams I've ever seen. Uh, you made a joke before we even came on the pod, like they're running 2K players out there, where like you have no idea who these guys are as they step into the game. But they have some young players that are starting to show themselves. Gigi Jackson, if you go listen back to our draft content, I was super hard on this kid. Like, I hated him as a prospect i specifically remember saying i wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole he's had a really good year uh for a young player who's just turned 19 uh vince williams juniors is kind of like masquerading as dylan brooks jr except he's less of an asshole i think that's important for the grizzlies to have and they're probably going to get a top six or seven pick in next year's draft as well what do you think about just like big pictures Grizzlies stuff like heading into next year like how good do you think they could be see that's interesting man because this is a team where in the past John Morant has been injured on and off all the time and they've still managed to win a lot of games without him um and but you can obviously tell that the playoff ceiling changes when he steps into the building right. I don't know what adding a top six pick does to the team um 
you know, we really didn't get to see the full strength Grizzlies this year. We don't know what the team no. looks like without Dylan Brooks, with Marcus Smart in his place. Uh, we didn't see it lead to anything. I don't know, man. The West is so good right now. I know that you have high hopes for the Grizzlies if they're able to add a legit talent. But, you know, John Morant's the type of dude who can carry you to a really high play or a really high regular season seed. But I don't know what it looks like deeper than that. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting next year because we know Triple J is a all-defense caliber player, right? And he has a unique skill set where he can kind of stretch the floor for you. Ja is obviously a top 20 guy in the league. He's fantastic. Desmond Bain, sharpshooter. They traded for Marcus Smart, and honestly, they haven't really been able to see the reward of that this year because they've been so bad. And I think Marcus Smart is one of those players where his value really only shows up when he's on a good team. Like having that dude on a bad team means nothing. He's already uh, he's only played thirty game or twenty games. He's missed thirty six games. Right. So you know that paired with being on a team that's also injured and dog shit, that you're not really getting the best version of Marcus Smart. And then a top seven pick. You know this year's draft, we've talked about it a little bit. There's no star players, right? There's no guy that's going to change a franchise. But the Grizzlies don't necessarily need that. If they can get a wing that they've been looking for forever um, and de- develop him, or they can get a center to help uh, next to Triple J, like there's supplemental pieces in this draft that can make them immediately better. Um, plus those two young guys that they're developing right now in Gigi Jackson and Vince Williams. So it's like, I see a path for them to be very good next year. Um, you know, without Jaws injuries, do they just beat the Lakers? I'm not sure in last year's playoffs. They were in it, and they got hurt, and this is a common trend with them. They're very injury-prone as a unit, but if all things stay healthy next year, I think they have a chance to do or just surprise people, I guess. I think that they're going to be a great regular season team. Um, The issue with this team over the past couple of years has been consistent three-point shooting. Jaron Jackson Jr. is hot and cold, man. He's shooting 32% from three on the season this year. He's got some great moments. He's got some garbage moments. John Morant is not a spacer. So, you know, besides Desmond Bain, they've needed consistent three-point shooting that they can play serious minutes, that they can give serious minutes to. Can Vince Williams or Gigi Jackson become one of those guys? Maybe. Gigi Jackson's a hell of a scorer. And he's on a four-year, $8 million deal. This is a dude who's put up 20 points in a ton of games this year, who's a really talented scorer, who they're paying two mil a year. Like, absolutely, that will help with team building. Yeah. Yeah, when you have that level of talent on that small of a contract, that is a massive advantage for you. Um, Especially a guy so young as well, you're assuming that he hits some level of growth every other, like every year, getting better and better. If you're getting like a rotational player for $2 million a year in general, that's a snag. But imagine if he becomes a starter at some point and you're only paying him $2 million. Like that is a absolutely crazy advantage to have. Um, I think a fit, I know this is, we haven't really done a lot of our draft stuff, but you saying that just kind of made me think of something and a fit I really like for them. There's a player from Kentucky, Reed Shepard, who's probably going to be my guy heading into this year's draft. Um, I'm just going to be rooting for him to go like top three, but if the Grizzlies can grab him, he's a six foot three point guard who defends the ball really well. 
and absolutely strokes it from three. And I just feel like he's kind of like Austin Reeves with better three-point shooting. If they could add that to the team to back up John Morant, I would love that for them. Um, I'm just super, super high on this Grizzlies team. And I just think they have like a culture and an identity too that's not going anywhere. Taylor Jenkins, as long as he's there, and John Moran, as long as he's there, this team has an identity. Yeah, man. I mean, they're a bad team right now, but they're so plagued by injuries. It is insane. Looking at their injury report, I'll list off the top seven guys that they want to play. John Morant, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr., Luke Kennard, John Conchar, Marcus Smart. They're all injured right now. Um, there's more guys on the list that just don't matter as much. They're also in. Right. So, right. like, how the fact that they won against the Bucks, the fact that they're on a two-game win streak speaks to how well Taylor Jenkins is able to put together just a unit and raise the floor of a team. But I'm just not a believer in the we're going to go really far, we can take on anybody sort of mindset because I, I just don't know where all the scoring is going to come from. Right, and me and you have talked about this for years, that they at some point need to consolidate young talent to get a wing in there. And they just actually, keep not doing it. And they just keep not doing it, but they're in a position, again, here we go again, where they have randomly young talent that's sprouted out of nowhere. Um, they have an opportunity to once again consolidate picks or consolidate young players, you know, a package of the sixth overall pick, G.G. Jackson, Vince Williams, and two first-round picks, that's a tempting package. That's a tempting package to go get a, you know, either borderline all-star player or potentially even an all-star player. So I don't know. The Grizzlies in a really weird spot right now because I think this season, despite probably disappointing a lot of Grizzlies fans, has given them an opportunity for some more flexibility down the road. That's true. That is definitely true. I was kind of confused by the fact that they dumped David Roddy for essentially nothing. Um, he's not like an excellent basketball player, but he's played yeah. a thousand minutes for this team in back-to-back seasons. He's definitely a dude with a legit role. Um, it seems like we're kind of aware of what all this talent is on the team. Like a couple of years ago, there was a lot of interesting question marks about like what could Zaire Williams grow into. And we know yeah. the answer is nothing. Right. So, you know, I think they've wasted their opportunity to trade a lot of the guys that they could have traded, but yeah. they do just keep spitting out more. You know, Vince Williams and Gigi Jackson both kind of came out of nowhere. Those That's two more young, talented guys that maybe you could get some value from. Right, yeah. I, th- I think we're in the same boat where they definitely missed to trade those young guys when they had them, but now they have more, so maybe they can fix their mistakes if they want to. Um, but, they, yeah, they are a super interesting team. I'm super – I'm very excited to watch them next season. The watchability um, of that team, for me, ties directly to whether or not John Morant's playing. And in Correct. The like, yeah. there's not watchable basketball when he's not playing. And to be fair, like, to his credit, he's one of the most fun players to watch in the entire league. Like, uh, yes. every single night you turned on John ja- ja Morant, he's probably going to do something that you have never seen before. I think, I think that's why I root for them in a weird way, just because I, there's so much excitement when I watch them. I hope they can figure it out. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. Well, if they can figure it out, you know, they're already a must-watch team when John Morant's playing. If they can also be a home-court advantage-type playoff team or if they can push for that, that would be awesome for them. Right. Um, I want to pivot and talk about, yeah. yeah, another team that's kind of in the same boat where a couple of changes need to be made if this team wants to seriously be a team that goes for it all. The Sacramento Kings. 
had an excellent season last year. One of the best offenses, if not the best offensive rating in basketball last season. Um, it was a must-watch show. The the three-point shooting, just the offensive creation was awesome. This year, they're cratering. They're eighth in the West, 14th best offensive rating in the league. The defensive rating is 18th. It's better than it was last season. But in terms of watchability, in terms of excitement, this Kings team is nowhere near what they were last season. Yeah, and I think a part of that is just last year was the first time they were actually good in so long, right? So that made expectations go up heading into this season, right? They almost beat the Warriors in the first round. They probably could have if De'Aaron Fox didn't break his finger. Um, but now they head into the season thinking, okay, now this is the year we win a playoff series. And that's just not going to happen this year. There are so many teams that leapt right over them, like the Timberwolves and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, they're, they're just not in a position to compete at the highest level. And pre-pod, we were just kind of talking about it. What are some of the things that led to that? I think Keegan Murray not taking a step up the way they needed him to has prevented this team from stepping up a level, right? He's at 15 points per game at 35% from three and 46% from the floor. He's gotten a little bit better defensively, but they were expecting him to kind of be a third star, not a valuable role player. Um, What do you think about that? Yeah, right now he's averaging two and a half more points, half half an assist and half a rebound more than he was last season. Um, And that's not a leap that they were expecting from him. And I think the issue with the Kings for me is just they're one of those teams that just refuses to make enough moves. Switching around Sabonis and Tyrese Halliburton, that was a crazy move. And they got a lot of shit for it. I mean, from us included. Um, But they shouldn't have stopped there. Harrison Barnes should have been moved last season. Harrison Barnes should have been moved this season. I don't know why they didn't. They could have gotten something for him. They really have Sabonis Fox and Keegan Murray are three guys that need to stick around. Malik Monk is fun. But besides that, it's just, you know, any of these guys can go. Any of these guys can be upgraded, and they're not really taking the steps to upgrade them. Right, and they have their picks, too. Right. So, you know, they have contracts they can throw around, like Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes, and you have the picks. I mean... They were in the Pascal Siakam conversations, but once Keegan Murray's name came up, they had to start declining. But there are other pieces you can get and bring into this team that can help you out. Obviously, there weren't a ton of names moved at this year's trade deadline, but I don't know. I I think this summer is pretty important for them because do they want to just continue sustaining an eight seed for the next few years, or do they want to make a legitimate push Um, You know, some of these teams above them, the Clippers, Phoenix, they're pretty old. Are they just waiting for them to, like, age out almost and then make their leap? I don't know. Maybe the patience they're showing is justified. I mean, I trust this new Kings front office. That Sabonis Halliburton move, for everyone as much, you know, shit they gave that trade, including myself, like, it just has worked. Sabonis is having a historic season right now. As much as we love Halliburton, he's averaging 20 points, 13 and a half rebounds, and eight assists to only three turnovers a game. That's a historically great season. So I I don't really know what the big picture is for them other than you need to make a move at the wing. That's kind of the spot I see where Harrison Barnes, he's getting old. He's just not going to bring you – when you head into a playoff series, he's not a guy that you're super confident for, uh, in. 
Right, right. And I mean, you know, go beyond Sabonis, Fox, and Keegan Murray. Kevin Herter, is he a dude we have confidence in in the playoffs? No. Trey Lyles, like, is he a dude that should be a serious rotation guy in the playoffs? No. Davion Mitchell, kind of too short. Chris Duarte really didn't take the leap. Um, They don't have enough guys that they can be confident in when they go into a playoff series. I'm not out on Keegan Murray. This is a down year, but I absolutely expect positive growth from him to continue. But, you know, he's still going to be, I think third best guy on the team is probably where Keegan Murray's ceiling is. Yeah, and he needs to reach it. Uh, He needs to reach it. He needs to get better. Um, I think they were expecting him to be like teetering around 20 points per game this year. Obviously, he's fallen short of that. So next season's going to be a big season for him. Um, and this is another thing with him, too. They are kind of treating him like an untouchable. Is he one of these guys where it's like, oh, no, we can't move him, we can't move him, and then he just becomes okay, right? And then they miss the boat on his value yeah. on selling early, right? Yeah, man. Pascal Siakam, you're telling me you won't give up, like, a really interesting three-point shooting rookie for an all-NBA forward in Pascal Siakam? Like, I don't know, man. I get the value on a young player is, like, the potential is out there and you don't know what they could be, but is it, how likely is it that it will ever be as good as Pascal Siakam? Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Yeah. So if they made that trade, the team looks much better and they're probably fighting for something a little more legitimate, but they do have to worry about losing a fun young player. I think it's worth it to do that every day. Yeah. And they've already shown their willingness to trade a fun young player in Halliburton. Right. So, well, next season is going to be very interesting for them and how they can take a step up or if they just remain the same. And, you know, if you're a Kings fan, are you just happy with any level of success at this point after 20 years of just being in the doghouse? Like, I mean, I, you'd probably take just as many seasons of being an eight seed and being a legitimate team, but over right. what you've dealt with for the past couple of decades. Right. And I think that's fair. I mean, that is one of the most tortured fan bases in all of sports, taking Marvin Bagley over Luka. I mean, just the list goes on and on for them. Um, So if they want to be an eight seed for the next five years and just, you know, bask in the glory of that, I'm all for it. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Uh, Let's talk about the Portland Trailblazers. Scoot Henderson. I don't know if we've really gotten in enough on Scoot Henderson and what he's been like this season. We talk about it off pod a lot. I still have a lot of faith in him, so I'm trying to kind of watch my words when it comes to the podcast. But just to be frank, he has not been the guy that people expected him to be. When you compare what he's doing to Brandon Miller and to Victor Wembanyama, obviously he falls very short. 13 points on 38% from the field isn't good. That's bad. Um, You know, rookie point guards who are short, who are score first, we have this track record with them being inefficient and struggling to find the ropes. Um, he's going to start for the rest of the season now. We're getting into March basketball pretty soon. He'll be playing scrubs, but like the Scoot Henderson experience hasn't been excellent. No, it's been horrible. It's been really, really bad. And it's weird because me and you have are both on record saying this is an all NBA level point guard in the NBA. That's what both of us thought of him as a prospect, right? This is not panned out the way I thought it would pan out. I'm more worried than you are. Um, I just don't know. I mean, these next 20 to 25 games, I don't know who it's more important for other than Scoot. Like, I think this is where he really has a chance to kind of solidify himself as 
a rightful third overall pick, um, show show Portland some glimpse of hope. Because I think if you were to honestly ask, you know, a Portland fan, hey, how are you feeling about Scoot? I don't think they'd be very positive about it either. No, man. I, what I'm thinking about is go back to the start of this season. Go back to like summer league time. And imagine how vindicated every single Charlotte Hornets fan feels. And you, as someone who's not a Charlotte Hornets fan, but is a Brandon Miller fan. Everybody was knocking on the door to say, Brandon Miller is ass. Look at this terrible performance. He's not a number two pick. This was a terrible decision by a garbage franchise. And oh, look, the 6'9", <laughs> excellent offensive weapon turned into a great offensive weapon in the NBA. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a lot of like, in the beginning of the season, we were dead set that Brandon Miller was a bad number two pick and Scoot Henderson was clearly going to be better than him immediately. And it's just not that. Yeah, no. Um, Summer League can be decepting, uh, deceptive, man. We've had this in the past where Summer League is probably the least useful thing in the universe, right? Um, it's super entertaining, but it's really, really hard to get something valuable out of it. Um, in terms of like legitimate analysis, right? You have, you know, future MVPs playing against accountants. And even though it's fucking awesome to watch, it's hard to actually get real analysis from it. Brandon Miller had, I think, a game with 11 fouls. Um, people on Twitter were losing their minds. Bust, bust, he's going to suck, he can't play defense. He has been a legitimately good defender from day one in the NBA. Like, actually good. He was just getting his feet wet. Scoot, the other hand, right? He had all that experience in the G League. He comes into the Summer League clearly better than everyone, right? Like, just no shit. He's had all this experience against grown men. He's going to bust through Summer League and just enter the NBA ready to go. Hasn't been what's happened at all his shot selection is horrible his turnovers are horrible like just he just misses shots he should make like i watched the game i'm like how did that not go in or why did he think to shoot that he has been i think pretty safe to say the most disappointing rookie by far this year i think that's valid man i think that's valid victor webadyama started incredibly inefficiently but we could see the blueprint for what he was going to be. And like it, it lasted what 20 games of really inefficient basketball. And now we're seeing incredible shit from him. Scoot Henderson has yet to really have those moments, those like rookie defining. I am here. I am one of the best guys. It's a good thing. You picked me type moments. He had 30 points on 30 something shots. And I think that's his best game so far. Um, it's, it's so concerning, man. But I I think he'll be fine. I think we have this track record with short point guards, Darius Garland, Trey Young. You know, there's a ton of other guys you could list who are short and score first and really struggle with the transition. John Morant's kind of a one-of-one one in the way that he was able to just step in and be the man right away. It doesn't yeah. happen that often, man. But to think that, like, there's an easy path for Scoot to eclipse Brandon Miller... And for him to, you know, step into that role that we thought yeah. he was going to be multiple time, all-star possible, all NBA. Like he's got such a long climb. Yeah. I, I've talked to you privately off the pod about this. I'm way past that. I'm just like very certain that Brandon Miller is going to be a much better player than Scoot Henderson for like the rest of their careers. I've, I've seen enough from Brandon Miller where I can just kind of crown him an all-star at minimum. 
Um, for Scoot, I, I'm a little worried. And I think like something I'd like to toss back to you is what do you think Scoot's defining trait will be that makes him a good NBA player? Because when we look at these guards that have had these tough, tough rookie seasons, you know, De'Aaron Fox, it's the athleticism, right? It's uh, Russell Westbrook, the athleticism. Darius Garland, it's the handle and shooting. Trey Young, it's the playmaking and shooting. Like, what do you think Scoot's version of that will be that makes him an all-star caliber guard or a potential face of the franchise? If he does reach that level, to me, it's a mixture of his athleticism and his ability to control an offense. Um, The turnovers have to get in check, and right now they're really not. But if you watched him growing up, if you watched him in the G League, like this is clearly a dude who can run an effective offense really really well. Um, I think the turnovers need to be cut by a big time. And then I just want more highlights, man. That's literally all I'm asking for. Scoot, you can jump so high in the air. You're so strong. Dunk on people, please. Like, I want to see it. That's kind of what's concerning me the most is like, this is a guy that I thought was just going to be a highlight factory because of his athleticism. Right. Right. I think he's probably six. I think he's six two, like 225 pounds. Yeah. He's built like a Mack truck. Yes. In my head, before he entered the NBA, I was envisioning full speed downhill, cock back, bury through a center's chest with his shoulder and slam a dunk. Yeah. We haven't seen anything close to that. No. It's all, he's playing like he's five foot eight. Yes. He's playing with crafty finishes. He's playing below the rim. You know, he's settling for jumpers that aren't going in. I thought they were going to go in. They haven't. So I'm starting to, because I would have told you the same thing. His athleticism and playmaking is going to be what makes him so great. The athleticism, if he's not using it, or if it's, you know, a higher level of competition. So his athleticism is less than we thought it was. That's a big deal. Like that will, that will stunt him from being an all-star caliber player. Right. And it's, to me, it's just like a, is he not locked in kind of thing? Like think back to that exhibition game against Wemby from a year ago before either of these dudes were in the league. He had more energy in that exhibition game that I see from him in most of the games that he plays, man. He was trying to tear Wemby's fucking head off. And that's exactly what we want to see from him. Besides that game, literally, you know, can you think of a regular season game this year where he's had that kind of dog in him? Against Wemby. Yeah. Again. And he was inefficient as hell. Yep. And I feel like this is a great point from you. I do feel like in some ways he's been neutered. His confidence has been just like chopped off in a weird way where like there isn't that like growling fucking shit talking like puffing chest out in opponents faces. I haven't seen that at all. Like I haven't seen that energy at all the entire season. We're 60 games in basically and we're still waiting for that moment like that. That's what's kind of making me more worried than you is just like potential personality change. Like, is he not as confident as we once thought he was? Or like, why haven't we seen the highlight dunks or any of the shit? It's just like a weird, weird amalgamation of shit that he's in. He is a strong ass dude and you would not know it from his play style. He doesn't play like a dude with a 40 inch vertical who's 220 pounds and six foot two. He doesn't play like that. Um, I hope he gets to that point. I hope there's something because obviously it's still in him. He hasn't had yeah. any major injuries. He's not. It's not like there's something that sapped his athleticism. He's just not playing 
to the fullest of, you know, what his body can handle. Um, I, I'm just concerned, man. Who would have thought that this far into the season, like Malcolm Brogdon would have been this much better of a player for the Blazers than Scoot? I wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, and I think we have to hit this point again. These next 22 games can really just change my opinion on how I think of Scoot, right? Like, he can completely take away my, you know, concern if he's scoring, you know, 17 points, averaging seven assists on two and a half turnovers on decent efficiency. If he has a stretch like that over the next 20 games, even against bum lineups, I don't give a shit. As long as I see some confidence, you know, responsible playmaking, maybe a highlight or two, I'll be much, much happier headed into next season. I agree, man. We had very high hopes for this offensive trio of Scoot, Anthony Simons, and Shaden Sharp. And I have always been a bit wary on Shaden Sharp specifically. Just because I'm not sure, I'm not sure what this looks like when the team really wants to compete. Um, how are you feeling about Shaden Sharp? Is it kind of hard to gauge just because of how garbage the product in Portland is? Um, I'm less confident. I gave him an F last year when we did our rookie catch up when I was out in LA, and then he went on that crazy run at the end of the season, so it kind of pulled me back into him. And now I'm kind of where I was last year at the rookie check-in where I was kind of just like not enthused. And that's kind of where I am right now as a, as a long-term player and as someone that you want around your franchise when the going gets tough, I'm not sure I'm sold on it. Um, you know, he's basically at a one-to-one assist turnover ratio. His efficiency is dog shit. We still know his favorite thing to do is shoot. Um, I don't know. I'm a little less hopeful than I was uh, after that run he had to finish off last season. I'm starting to feel like maybe Scoot just needs to be surrounded with vets. Maybe he shouldn't be like a young dude leading a bunch of other young dudes. Like maybe get more of the Jeremy Grant, Malcolm Brogdon types. Like you don't have to be an excellent team, but just get more adults in the building who know what they're doing. And maybe that helps Scoot kind of propel himself into a more legit dude. Yeah, what's odd about this team build in, in Portland is they're directly split down the middle between absolute vets and absolute absolute youth, uh, which is like an odd thing that we usually do not see. A lot of these teams that are in the top three drafting selections, they sell off all their vets at the trade deadline and you know go into the tank or go into a retool. They chose to stand pat. Uh, they still have Jeremy Grant, who's a vet. They still have Malcolm Brogdon and DeAndre Ayton, who are vets. Um this is a weird, weird team. I kind of get what you're saying, though. I get what you're saying. I think that could help him being surrounded by other responsible basketball players. They really got to pick a direction, man, because Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon are both in such weird places in their own careers. Neither of yeah. these guys wants to be on the worst, one of the worst teams in the West, just rotting in Portland. So, like, does that seep into the chemistry? Does that seep into, you know, what it's like when you actually play with them? The fact that they'd really rather be elsewhere. Um I don't know, man. I'm a bit worried. I think they just need to get more legit talent in the building. DeAndre Ayton, if there's anything you can do with him, not in terms of rehabilitation, we're past the point where he's like a guy. If there's anything you can do to just like buy him out or get him off the team, I think that also improves morale. Yeah, he is one of the worst contracts in the league for sure. Uh, This is a fall off that, we usually don't see in the NBA uh, where, you know, contract year guy goes out, has the best year of his fucking life, secures the bag, and then just instantly stops trying. 
that is something you really don't see that often. Obviously, there are different stories from different sports about stuff like this, but I can't remember the last time this happened in the NBA, and he is the face of that. Like, just go get a bag, and then you're good. Max contract, bro. He got a max contract, and how many games? I just The stats are insane. The stats are insane in terms of just how bad, how complacent, how checked out he has been. He's only put up 20 points or more in eight games this season, and they're paying him right now $32 million, but it's only going to go up 34 next year, 35 and a half the year after that. Um, That can't be good for morale either, man. When your highest played payer, sorry, highest paid player on the team is just that checked out and doing it for the money and nothing else. Scoot's got it. Like, what can you blame him? Can you blame him for being dumped in such a weird situation and not flourishing the way we want him to? I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question. Uh, it's one of the same things with Wemby and having to deal with the Sohan po- uh, point guard and all the Zach Collins center minutes and shit. And Brandon Miller and the Hornets. Right? Like, you know, you don't always fall into a situation that's, you know, tailor made for you, is what we're finding out here with this rookie class. And then some of them rise above it. Obviously, Wemby was so great that it made the coaching staff realize, all right, we're doing this guy dirty. But the Portland Trailblazers coaching staff can't really fix this problem. Their books are cooked. They are so deep in the hole financially with these guys that are starting long-term contracts. It's not like they can just ship everyone out and get assets in return. At this point, you'd have to attach assets to DeAndre Ayton to get them off your team. Yeah, you look at their payroll and they look like just looking at the numbers like a team that would be fighting for like a top seven, top six seed. 34 mil to Aiden, 30 mil to Grant, 26 mil to Anthony Simons. I'm looking at next year, but still 30 million, 27 million, 24, 22. That's like a lot of money to give to guys who are not impacting winning. Really? Yeah. Um, I don't know why Jeremy Grant wasn't shipped. Is there any justification for why this dude is still on the team? Honestly, no. Um, No. And I also, I think something they should start considering is moving on from Anthony Simons. Um, That dude is a elite, elite shooter of the basketball from three-point land. And if you can get him on a team like, I like the Lakers. I think that's a really good fit. The Magic obviously need three-point shooting. The Raptors... If you can send him somewhere where you can get assets in return at either the center or the forward spot and just make some room in that guard rotation, I think that would do very, very well for Scoot's development moving forward. Who are the kind of players that you think fit Scoot Henderson and his play style really perfectly? I don't know that they're sitting on the Trailblazers right now, but who would that be? They're not. Yeah. I think Porzingis, weirdly, like just randomly pulling a name out of a hat, I think a guy that can roll and can pop would be really nice for Scoot just because I trust him as a playmaker from what I watched in the G League at least is just, you know, give him a guy to run a two-man game with. I'm thinking most of the times he's going to find the right decision, whether it's passing to him at the perimeter, hitting him for an alley-oop, or pulling up for that mid-range shot that I thought was going to be kind of a bread and butter, you know, plan B for him in his offensive game. Um, You know, some other guys... I don't know, I think a defensive player actually could be really good for him, like a 3 and D wing, uh, maybe like a Mikhail Bridges. Obviously, that's an all-star level player at that position, but I, he just needs something different than what's on this roster. 
like, I guess Jeremy Grant is a good fit for him, actually. That's a good fit for him, but I think Aiton's got to go, and I think Anthony Simons needs to go as well. I just think there's too many ball handlers on this team. I think Anthony Simons, you got to replace that position with a dude who's a great defender. Because um, I, okay. I think it's hard when Jeremy Grant, he's like a really good off-ball sort of defender. He'll come in flying for blocks occasionally. Um, DeAndre yeah. Ayton's not a good enough backline guy to where it even matters. But Anthony Simons, if you could replace him with somebody who's an excellent defender, I think you could get legit value from him. He is such a sharpshooter. There is absolutely a desire yeah. from him for him all around the league. You absolutely could find absolutely. a guy who fits Scoot Henderson's play style a little better. Maybe it is just like you build a team the way the Thunder built around Russell Westbrook. Get me some defense, yeah. get me some shooters, and you know, hopefully we can bring in another excellent player around next to him. How about Herb Jones? Is that a guy you'd like to see next to Scoot? A guy who can just sit in a corner, hit threes at a decent clip, and just fucking maul the other team all night? That could absolutely be a great pairing, yeah. All right, so there's a there's a way this turns around in Portland. It's just looking like the road to that is difficult. I got one. Carl yeah. Anthony Towns. Mmm, like it a lot. I think that could be a really good pairing. Yeah, like it a lot. Like it a lot. I think... His one, I think Carl would be happy to be a number one option again, Mm -hmm. right? I think Scoot would then have time to develop as an offensive player without the pressure to be a number one option. I I think Um, you're right. The The age kind of works out. Yeah, Carl would be phasing out as Scoot's probably hitting his actual apex, right? right? So it's like that weird phase shift for them. Right. Um, Like I said, there's ways to do this. It's just, will they have the nuts to like go make some weird trades like Anthony Simons. Yes. He's a young talented players that you guys drafted and developed and paid. Are you comfortable moving off of him for lesser assets? Like if you have to take 95 cents on the dollar, is that something you're interested in? I don't know. I don't know either, man. Do we know anything about the executives over there in Portland now? Like we know that the old ones in the Dame era were cheap asses, but like, Right. Do we know anything about what these guys are willing to spend, what they're willing to do? I don't know. And weirdly enough, like if we look back on that Dame trade in Portland, right? If the, if they just sent him to Miami where he wanted to go, they'd have Jaime Jaquez, Nikola Jovic, and three first-round picks. I believe that was the deal that was centered around Miami. Yeah. Um, they played it wrong. They played it wrong. They did a good job by proving Dame doesn't have power over them, but what did it get them in return? Now... I was I was a huge fan of what they did in the moment, so I'm not going to revisionist history this and say, oh, you know, I knew the whole time. No. But looking back, you know, being able to potentially have Jaime Jaquez, Jeremy Grant, you know, Scoot Henderson, like, it's it's a much better position to be in than what they're in right now. Yeah, man. We are a fan on this podcast of executives and GMs that go, no, I'm making the decision. You are the player. But then we Correct. also got to, you know, laugh at them and make fun of them when it doesn't go well. Like obviously yes. doing it out of spite, not sending him to Miami purely <laughs> because Miami was the place he wanted to go to and you get a worse deal for it. Your team was worse because of it. Yeah. Um, yep. I think it's fine. I'm honestly, I'm still okay with it. In retrospect, I'm still okay with the fact that through all that shit show, he did not end up at the one destination that he was demanding to go to. Right. Right. Three months of complaining and you get shipped to freezing cold Milwaukee. Like, I'm okay with that. Me too. But if you're a Portland fan, 
what you really have to be hoping for right now is turning Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, and DeAndre Ayton into pieces coming back, right? Because Dame, the Dame trade is virtually a wash, right? You got some first-round picks from Boston for Drew Holiday. That matters. They're good picks. That does matter. But at the end of the day, you need young talent that fits next to Scoot, and they don't have that right now. No, no, and I'm kind of terrified of, like, them drafting an offensive wing and you just have scoop an offensive guard shade and sharp another offensive wing and deandre ayton like that is a recipe for bad more bad basketball like maybe it's not entirely scoot's fault that we're seeing this play out the way it is yeah you could be right honestly i would love to just see them get off of deandre ayton any way possible i don't think they can though just buy him out Like what? They don't have a reason to spend that money on anything right now. Maybe just buy yeah. it out. It's better for the chemistry. You know, because I don't know what teams would like really go hard after DeAndre Ayton right now. I just who is who is paying anything for that dude? Dude, who has the cap space to send right. thirty million dollars to a garbage center? Can we convince <laughs> ourselves that DeAndre Ayton cares if we move him to a better spot? I don't think so. If, right, and that's the thing, too. Like, what team is going to say, oh, he's going to care about winning on our team, right? Right. Like, after his whole career of not giving a shit, he, when he comes to our city, he's going to really, really care all of a sudden. Right. You know what I mean? What team has the Phil Jackson Zen master that's going to turn <laughs> DeAndre Ayton into a dude with a dog in him? Right. <laughs> right. Like, it's just extremely unlikely. Just extremely unlikely. So... I don't really know. I mean, I just whipped up a trade at lightning speed as we were talking about this. I sent DeAndre Ayton to the Mavericks for Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, and Dwight Powell. But, like, why? Yeah. You know, why would they do that? They have Derek Lively and Daniel Gafford now. They don't need another oaf getting paid $30 million. Yeah, we've had the Christian Wood experiment over there. That's a garbage center (laughs) that they got to pay a lot less. To do, right. you know, similarly disappointing stuff. I don't think they go for it. They're just in a fucking weird spot, dude. And I'm not really sure how to fix them. And that's why I think their development moving forward is going to be really interesting. Because they're going to have to maneuver some shit that I I don't see a way out of. Literally, as of right now. the way out, truly, the way out is for Scoot Henderson to just, you know, unlock a new level. And become an yep. all-star and force this team to readjust right now we got a number three pick who's kind of just coasting he's not really being as good as he could be if scoot was like the man the trailblazers would have to quickly figure out how do we put a winning team around him but he's not the man right now it's a good point scoots scoots you know ascension might be the only way they can figure out how to fix this right we talked about this when we talked about the Cavs and Mobley. It was like that jump yeah. that made them really want to go out and be something. That is that is so true. Like when Mobley came onto the Cavs and they overachieved immediately, being a, a, a they were a playoff team until all the injuries happened that year. And then, you know, they, they fell out of the play-in. But, you know, up to that point, they were like, we didn't think we were going to be a play a playoff team after one year right so then they went and got mitchell and now they're you know the second seed in the east like if scoot can make an ascension where it makes the blazers believe in themselves on like oh if we take this seriously we might be better than we thought quickly i think 
that would be a fucking awesome scenario for them because that's what's happening to the Spurs right now. Right, that is what what's happening to the Spurs is they're realizing right now like shit next year we could be something yeah. if we just got good talent around Wemby next year we could be something interesting exactly so I don't know if you have any other teams that are on your mind just like kind of floating around up there I do have um, one I do have one I want to yeah. rattle off real quick just because we're talking about rookies we're talking about garbage situations the Charlotte Hornets look like a more legitimate team especially post-trade deadline Brandon Miller yeah. I just think somebody's got to do the Brandon Miller victory lap and for somebody who's been in his corner since the beginning, I want to give that to you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I, I've been fucking, I, I've been so impressed with this dude. Like, it, you can listen to our pods from all season long. Like, I was talking at, like, game four about how good he was on defense and, like, people are underrating him as a defender and shit. So, like, this is a huge victory lap for me. I'm, I'm pretty happy about this one. Um I have visions of very successful basketball in Charlotte. I really do. It all depends on LaMelo's ankle, which is like a tough bet. But having that guy, LaMelo, who I believe is a top 25 player in the NBA, paired with Brandon Miller, who I believe will be a top 25 player in the NBA, like that that is a really fucking cool pairing to have as two jumbo-sized players for their position, being able to shoot at close to 40% on a ton of attempts from three. Yeah, man. I have never been... I was never as staunch of a Brandon Miller supporter as you were, but I understood you throw a 6'9 offensive weapon who shoots lights out onto a team, the team gets better. Like, the right. my ultimate expectation would be for those two dudes to be shooting 10 threes a game the way Stephen Clay used to. Um, and like they could both be 40 plus percent three-point shooters beyond that what happens where does the talent come from what does the team building look like that is what I'm super interested in I think the Grant Williams pickup is pretty nice Um, you know he's fine Mark Williams we love Mark Williams on this podcast but like there's maybe four guys that I'm dead set on the Hornets rolling with for the future after that where does the improvement where do we how do we become like a legitimate squad it's a totally fair question, right? That's a totally fair question, to kind of, kind of considering their past. Um, LaMelo, Brandon Miller, Grant Williams, Mark Williams. Those are the four guys moving forward that I think should stay on the team. Trey Mann is convincing me slowly. I mean, he's getting starter minutes for this squad, and he's playing extremely well in the three games he's been there. Um, he doesn't have a huge track record. But from what I've seen so far, I've really liked it. Um, But you're right, dude. How do they become a legitimate team? It all starts on defense, right? Brandon Miller's a great start to that. I think Grant Williams is a great start to that. I think Mark Williams is a great start to that. I also think it's head coaching. Yes. I think I gave Steve Clifford credit at the beginning of this season for calling out these guys, right? Because he has held no words back in these press conferences after the game where he's just like, these guys don't fucking care. They don't run back. They don't, you know, he really goes in on them. And I thought that's a character building thing. What it seems to have done is just toned out all of his players. All of his players hate him. You can see it. Brandon Miller's the only only guy out there who's actually trying his ass off. Um, so I think there needs to be a coaching change. And I think that'll help. The Steve Clifford thing is so weird. They fired him like four years ago and then rehired yeah. him for last season. 
what are you doing? Like on both sides. Why is Steve Clifford taking that job? He's taking it because yeah. nobody else is giving him a job. But why are they offering it to him? It was it was so weird when it happened. It continues to be so weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, replacing him with a legitimate coach would make a world of difference. But those guys just aren't available right now. I think what's really funny as well is Kenny Atkinson was the lead candidate for this job and then turned it down at the last minute to stay as a bench coach for the Warriors. What do you think about Uh, just the culture in Charlotte? I think that probably plays a part of it. I saw the other day, Steve Clifford, the other day, this was like maybe two weeks ago. Steve Clifford got ejected. The Hornets are down 30 and everybody on the bench is cracking up and having a great time and not paying attention to the score. Is that just a one-off or is that kind of representative of Charlotte culture? That is the culture there right now. That is the culture. You can see, like, LaMelo and Brandon Miller, they're trying to drag this team from the trenches to be relevant in any way possible. Um, I do think it's because they hate Steve Clifford, though. Like, they'd rather goof off on the bench by down by 30 than go try to win the game. Like, try to cut the lead. They'd rather just hang out. Um, I think that changes next season. Like, I, I was on the podcast before the season started, saying that this team was going to be the 10th seed and make the play-in. I was wrong. I'm going to be right back on that bandwagon starting next season. I just think new coaching, some more defensive-minded players that they've brought in. Mark Williams has only played 19 games this year. When that dude's healthy and they have Grant Williams next to him and Brandon Miller and you have LaMelo kind of being a chef out there, I think that team makes the play-in next year. When is Mark Williams healthy, man? It's the second season. He played 43 games last year, 19 games through this season. When is this mammoth of a man going to be healthy? That last year was weird, though, because that's when they didn't play him until after. The, right. You're right. So, you're right. so that, that's not necessarily injury, but this year he's just been completely, you know, done. Yeah. I, I don't He hurt his back, which is like the worst possible thing for a center to hurt yeah. other than his foot. So we'll see, man. I don't know. I'm a, I'm always going to be a Charlotte believer as long as Lamelo and Brandon Miller are there. It's just what around them needs to change. Like the answer seems to be pretty much everything. I'm very glad Terry's off the team. I'm glad Gordon Hayward's off the team. Yeah. Miles Bridges is like such an interesting. What the fuck are they going to be doing with that in the off season? Um, he decided not to get traded from the Hornets and just ride out the last half of the season out here with low scrutiny. Um, yeah. Who knows what that hat, what that turns into, man? Are they going to sign him to some deal? Are they going to keep him around? That kind of, if that happens, I'm not going to give a shit about the Hornets. It sucks that like it takes one man to do that. But if we're all, if the Hornets are banking on like Miles Bridges is going to be our difference maker, I don't want to watch, yeah. man. And I think in a weird way too, he could really disrupt Brandon Miller's development. Definitely. Um, in a weird way. So like, you know, he's a woman beater, and he's potentially stopping your your potential star from becoming that guy i think you just have to move him off your team yeah. but they they definitely become less talented when that happens but i still think you have to do that you do have to do it because that that guy isn't making a difference anyways um you know they're the 13th seed right now whether or not he's on that team they do just need to find you know is it young guys are they just gonna keep drafting and hope that maybe with like a top seven top eight pick they could find another really solid third pairing Right, and that's the thing we kind of haven't talked about at all with them because we haven't really done our draft research yet, but, like, they are in a position where they could end up with the fucking number one overall pick. Right. 
Like, they are the fourth worst team in the league right now. They have a 12% shot at the number one overall pick. You know, is there a defender out there? Alexander Saar, right? Seven foot one mobile big who can defend. If that guy's on the team, how much better do they get? You know what I mean? So it's, they they have an interesting offseason for sure with the Miles Bridges conundrum, you know, free agency, how they restructure their cap with all the Gordon Hayward, all the stuff that's been moving around. Like they could really kind of look like a completely new team heading into next season. They could, man. I mean, completely new team. I think maybe not. I think maybe we're like three years away from like an awesome Charlotte Hornets team. Um, But they do have to be taking steps in the right direction. Picking up Grant Williams, you know, Seth Curry's a good role player. Um, mm-hmm. They've been taking some steps to move into the right direction. They're not done yet. I think they got, you know, maybe three or four more steps before they're really something. The draft is a big one for me. Like that yeah. is going to change some things for them. I've, I'm going to rattle off some teams and you're going to tell me if you see any world where Charlotte is better than them next season. Okay. okay. Detroit. Yes. Washington. Yes. Toronto. Probably, but it's iffy. Okay. Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't believe in Brooklyn. Okay. I'm right there with you. So I think that gets them to the 11th seed, right? Yeah. This is this is the difficulty. Is Chicago still going to be good next year somehow? I have no idea. Or is Atlanta going to have Trey Young still and still be decent next year as well? I'd take Atlanta all day. I think Chicago is an interesting one. Okay. I presume the Charlotte Hornets are better than the Bulls. I think they're worse than Atlanta, but I think they're better than the Bulls. That means they're a playing team. What that That's... takes, though, is 68 games from LaMelo. Fair. Right? Because I think every game he misses, the team, the quality of the team just tanks. It's a really, really fair point. Uh, and that's just been the bane of Lamelo's career up to this point. Like, I think he'd be talked about so differently if he didn't have the injuries. Because his numbers over the course of his career are pretty, like, impressive shit that not a lot of players are doing. Yeah, for a fourth-year guy to be averaging, you know, another 24-point-per-game season, he took 10 and a half threes last year at 38%. Literally nobody else is doing that. Um, in terms of, like, just volume, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, these are the guys who take 10 plus threes a game. There's really like right. four or five dudes who do that. And he was doing mm-hmm. it crazy effectively. The way he facilitates, I, I, it is. He's just so fun to watch, but he can't stay healthy. 36 games yeah. last year, 22 games this year. That's not even a full season. Yeah. So hopefully he starts weighing some ankle braces or something. But <laughs> Seriously. I think that might be it for me, Ben. Do you have anything else for you? No, that's going to do it for me. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you later. Peace. Peace.